Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and healthier people. Hi, my name is Julia, and I am your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it can make us better. I hope that this show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be. So, here we go! people and welcome to or welcome back to the being better podcast i am very happy you are here and i hope you and your loved ones are doing great today and let me first apologize for my voice i'm currently going through a cold so i know that i might not sound as great as i usually do but well let's not dwell on that because i have a wonderful guest today which i can't wait for you to meet her name is zahra surti and she is a South African psychologist and holistic therapist. When it comes to her past, she has worked as a counselor at the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy for Girls, which is this school that Oprah has founded in South Africa that was born out of this discussion she had with President Nelson Mandela. Zahra has helped a lot of young people and now sees clients in her private practice. Her expertise revolves around working on improving relationships, on recovering from trauma, also on mindfulness. She knows a lot about somatic experiences, stress management, and even career counseling. In this episode, you will hear us talk about common misconceptions regarding therapy, about learning to ask for help, and also about alternative therapy for anyone who is not comfortable with the idea of talking to a stranger face-to-face about their insecurities. We also discussed Zara's own mental health journey, the power of being of service, and also she gave advice for building better relationships and on journaling and many, many more topics that I'm sure you will love. She truly has a gift for what she's doing and you might notice how this conversation has turned into my own therapy session. I think it's just because her words really radiate kindness and compassion And just talking to her made me feel so relaxed and seen and taken care of and soothed. And I'm pretty sure that's how she will make you feel as well. So if you can, take a warm cup of tea or coffee, cuddle up under a blanket and listen to this wholesome conversation with Zahda Surti. I just want to start by saying that it's awesome to have you on the show and I've been really looking forward to this conversation about you know mental health and all things related to it because I mean who doesn't struggle with that and I really I don't think I know a single person who would not benefit from hearing you give advice and yes thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me Julia you know I think mental health is it's becoming even more prominent the more access we have to social media because we realize not just, number one, how social media affects each of us individually, but we also get to see people's struggles. You know, we get to see people struggle online and them sharing their vulnerability. So I think that's a very beautiful thing. 
uh, I'm very open to vulnerability, very open to sharing. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about this conversation. Thank you so much for contacting me, for yeah. wanting to chat well, to me. I mean, I just think that it's awesome that, you know, there are two sides of um, the social media space when it comes to mental health because on one hand as you said it makes us talk about our problems and we can be vulnerable there and I also know that it can be a place where people will act a certain way and pretend and make um, a kind of a persona which you know is fake and only share with the highlights of their lives but I think yeah we have the power to curate our content and our feed and we, if you, social media is a problem to you, then you can curate and change it up so it's a more wholesome space, I think. And yeah, your account is definitely one to follow. Yes, you know, that word of power, like you said, I think that's so interesting because we do have the power with what we want to share and the power with also, I think, how we want to be seen. And I think there is a very special power of what identity of mine do I want to put out there? How do I want the general public to see me? How, uh, how do I filter my daily life in a way that makes it seem more acceptable? And also, what impression is that giving to the general public when they see a post? Or, for example, I'm sitting in my office job, I'm going through a tough day at work, I'm struggling with my mental health, and I see somebody who's on vacation in the Maldives. You know, what impact does that have on me? So it's very fascinating to think of how mental health filters into our everyday life in the smallest of ways. Yeah, I really love that. Um, I want to back up just a bit just for uh, the people who have not heard about you before. Would you mind giving us a brief description of, well, basically what you do and who you are just to uh, let those people know? Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Shulia. So um, I'm a psychologist. I am also a writer. Um, it's taken me a long while to share myself. And I think the online space is where you actually found me, right? Because you actually follow me on Instagram. But that's very yeah. interesting because many people find me online. Um, but it's taken me a while to actually share myself, share my work, share my writing. Um, so I share a lot of my posts about vulnerability, about emotion, about struggle, um, just about the basic human experience online. I'm very passionate about normalizing mental health and also about holistic mental health. So I love helping uh, clients with not just mind, but mind, body, soul, because I feel like we are so in interconnected. We have so much of inherent wisdom. Um, and I love tapping into that with my clients in therapy. Um, what else do I do? <laughs> I Yes, writing is my passion. I absolutely love writing. I feel like it takes me into a different zone, like a different dimension when I'm in the space of writing. Um, I love reading poetry as well. I love reading very rich poetry, especially because I feel like the world of emotion is so vague. You know, it's so intangible because we can't see emotion. I think words gives it life. Um, and so when I write, I very much feel like I'm giving my I'm, I'm giving the field of psychology more life. Um, yeah, I totally agree. Like the power of journaling, at least for me, it's like even speaking out 
the things that you feel that you feel is a bit different than writing them down I think just because you have more time to process it also through looking at the words it just gives you more time to rethink uh, than just when you speak those things exactly and it help it it helps to externalize it you know because i feel like we each are such rich inner worlds that sometimes we don't know what's actually happening there's actually this quote i can't remember who said it but she said something along the lines of sometimes i don't know what i'm feeling until i actually read my words by myself so it helps you take a step back get yourself out of it and say oh wow you actually had a hard day you know let's sit with that let's process that so there's a lot of a lot of power in words well thank you so much for for sharing that um and before we get into all of my further questions i want to ask you about your recommendation for us um and the point of the recommendation of the week segment is as you might have guessed um to share something with the listeners that you think they might find enjoyable or thought-provoking or funny or interesting or all of the above um that can be a book or a product a movie or a podcast or an artist just whatever you like so what could be your recommendation for us this week so i love the book shantaram by i think his name is gregory david roberts uh yeah that's actually his name the the book shantaram is one of my absolutely favorite books it's about this man who um escapes from prison um travels throughout india and has such a rich experience meeting so many beautiful souls um i felt so connected to the people who he met in the book that uh you know something happened to someone i don't want to ruin it if anybody decides to read it so i'm not going to tell you what happened but i was so invested in the story that i started crying so much as if it was my friend who that oh happened oh my god i love when that happens yes it was so real it was as if i was in the story so i would highly recommend anybody to read the book shantaram it's a very thick book but i promise you you will not be able to put it down as soon as you get your hands on it Thank you so much for that recommendation. I will definitely check it out. I my to read list is already so long. It's like 111 I think books, something around that. But I am still but I am still the kind of person that even though I have so many books, I am still kind of looking for them and I still watch um you know booktube and people talking about the books that they love so i will definitely add that to my is yeah, there already. something called booktube yeah i mean booktube book talk whatever you oh, like wow, to that's amazing the space where you know people it's like my i i discovered it like a couple of months ago and i am just in the community so much i think it's such a wholesome space so when it comes to my recommendation for you this week just check out some great channels i think jack edwards is a great one um and there are just so many people and just you know it's nice just a space where i think there it's filled with nerds but my definition of a nerd is just people who are passionate about something so um i just love calling my friends you nerd but just in such a in a you know loving way 
So I think uh, it's a great space. So BookTube and BookTok, whatever app you prefer. And I think Bookstagram is also something. So just, you know, use those hashtags. And I think it's a great space to be in when it comes to social media. I'm definitely going to check it out because I feel like books allow you to enter into a whole different world. And you're telling me that you have so many books on your list. And I'm I'm actually looking at my shelf right now and I'm realizing... I've probably only read about five books and there's probably around 50 or 60. But just knowing that it's there makes me feel like there's so much of wealth of information around me. So (laughs) I completely understand that. I mean, yeah, knowledge is wealth. I, I love that. Um, you should also definitely check out uh, Goodreads. I don't know if you have heard, I've of, heard of them. It's a, yes. an app. I, I call it like a Facebook for books and for anyone who likes to read or would like to read more because there are tools like, you know, um, having a goal for the year, how many books you would like to read. And I think that's also very motivating. So that's also something that could introduce you to that space. So if you're thinking about starting to read more which I have the last year or or two years ago I decided I'm gonna read more and actually I went from reading about five books a year to now this year I am my goal is 45 and I think I'm gonna actually uh, read even more so that's it's amazing just, wow 45 is a good number yeah. to actually be on and to actually stick with that you know that's beautiful yeah and I just found like uh, I realized how it changed just myself, just reading more books. I think it made me more empathetic and just there's, I think, acquiring knowledge through those more deep and kind of long-term, not using just those short videos. I think it's different in a way that it just, you, again, you just have more time uh, to think, uh, just like with journaling, the thought process is deeper and there's just much more insight of your own that comes through reading someone else's story, I think. Yeah, I feel like you can immerse yourself in a world more solidly, you know, whereas I think the world of technology and social media is useful and it's beautiful as well. But I think text, there's something so inherent in us which is drawn to the world of text and I hope that that never ever leaves us I hope that we can always hold a book and take in that knowledge um, and give that to our kids and their kids because I do feel like it's so enriching for the soul yeah absolutely um and well I also want to come and ask you about well the beginning just to have a better understanding about you know your journey I think that's helpful to learn why you hold the views that you hold which we're gonna probably um, learn about further in the episode Um, so would you mind sharing your story your own story with mental health and what has led you to become a psychologist to become a counselor and just deciding to also help others through that So, you know, I always say that I think the field of psychology is a very intrinsic one for me. I feel like I was a psychologist way before I was a psychologist, simply because I was always very interested in why people behaved in certain ways. So I lost my father at the age of 12 years old. And I grew up in a very conservative family and community where nobody spoke about emotion. 
Nobody spoke about what it meant to hurt or grieve or process pain. And me being a very highly sensitive person, I felt like I was going through so much, but I had nowhere to to voice it. Um, I had no space to actually be weak and to be vulnerable. And so I think over the years, I became very strong academically. So I would do really well at school. I was very good. Um, you know, I would I would always earn awards academically. I always made sure that I succeeded in one area of my life. But I always felt like I wanted to create a space for other people one day who went through something similar like me and had nobody to talk to. I think it was only in my early 20s where I started seeking help myself and I started discovering so much of emotion within me. So much of grief about losing my father, um, so much of wisdom, you know, over the years, how I held myself together and still managed to pull through school uh, to fight academically, despite everything that I was going through, despite the loss of my father and everything that I went through at home. Um, And I feel like because of that, it really made me so compassionate towards people who are struggling made me so compassionate to the human experience because I realized that, you know, when when somebody would, for example, act out of turn at school, so I would see somebody maybe become very violent or somebody taking substances or drinking alcohol at school, my first question would never to judge would, would never be to judge them. I would never condemn them and say, oh, this person is just so violent or this person is so terrible. My initial reaction would always be, I wonder why they're behaving like that. I wonder where it comes from. They, they must be really hurting if they are to behave like that in a public setting at school. And so that's why I say that I think I always had this inclination towards understanding people from a very young age. And only later I turned that into a profession. And so I think today as a psychologist... Um, I don't work primarily from a textbook perspective. I think that the human experience can't be studied in totality. Um, I think everybody's so unique. Everybody has their own wisdom, their own stories. And in therapy, I always try and tap into that. What is that person telling me? Where are they coming from? So my experience has been very enriching. But there's also been a lot of grief. You know, there's been a lot of struggles with self-esteem. There's, lot of, there's been a lot of identity confusion in my life about who I was, where I fitted in, why I felt so different from my family and my community. Um, and I think those struggles have eased a lot over the years as I've discovered myself. But now I actually understand why I went through it, because now I can help somebody else go through the same or rather overcome the same. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I am really sorry for uh, the loss of your father. And I am thinking how, you know, so crushing that must have been and how many children go through the same thing without actually getting any help and how, how much healthier the society would have been if we gave uh, the help that 
the children of all different sorts from all different walks of life with different stories and traumas if they got the help they needed i think we will live in a much healthier society overall so i wish that this conversation and us talking about therapy um and how we can get more people to get the help that they need um, I hope that it can make a difference uh, and be, you know, a drop in the bucket when it comes to the revolution, when it comes to mental health that we need. I mean, our species is all, like 300,000 years old and we are just, I think, starting to really tap into um, the uh, health of our mind and our spirit. So um, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think when it comes to talking about how well we can encourage more people to start therapy, I think we have to first think about why they are not doing it now. And what, in your opinion, are the biggest misconceptions or myths regarding therapy or other maybe reasons why um, they're not choosing to, to yeah, you know, get that help? Julia, I think that's such an important question, especially because... Just like each and every one of us has physical health, each and every one of us has mental health, but there's this resistance, there's this reluctance to seek help. And I think it has a lot to do with how society has termed strength. I think that we've got it upside down. We've come to falsely understand, or rather we've come to falsely confuse strength for I don't show my emotion, I don't cry, I be positive, I think positive, um, I sort out my own problems. That is what we've come to misunderstand is the definition of strength. But I think strength is exactly the opposite thing. I think strength is vulnerability. I think strength is wearing your heart on your sleeve and admitting that you are struggling because I can guarantee you that each and every person walking this earth today is struggling with at least one thing in their life. But sometimes talking about it and sharing it helps ease someone else's burden because they realize, okay, it's not just me. I'm not the only one who's struggling. I always say that a big part of mental illness and mental, mental health struggles is loneliness. So I think that you know, definitely our definition of what strength and weakness is, is very mixed up in society. Um, I think also that when it comes to mental health, many of us believe that it only has to do with depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, you know, all of these, these, these severe mental illnesses. We, so we don't see mental health as simple things such as it's my relationship with myself. It's my self-esteem. Every day when I dress up, uh, when I look good, how do I talk to myself? You know, what is my connection with my partner? How do I relate to my friends? Um, when somebody miscommunicates with me or hurts my feelings, how do I re resolve that conflict in a healthy manner? All of that is also mental health, but I think because we term it as bipolar depression, schizophrenia, we don't really recognize that we can struggle with mental health on a basic, basic level as well. 
And so I think a lot of the myths and a lot of the misconceptions have to do with that. That if you are going for, for therapy, if you are seeing a psychologist, it means that you are crazy, as people call it. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly... Yeah, people, people are terrified of that. Everybody's so terrified of that, right? And then suddenly you're so stigmatized and you're the outcast in society because people think that you don't have a strong head on your shoulders. And again, that relates to the idea of strength. Everybody wants to be seen as strong. Everybody wants to be seen as successful, worthy, capable. As soon as we let our guard down, we're afraid that we're going to be judged for it, judged for who we really are. And so I think that a lot of these misconceptions have to do with the fact that when we normalize sadness, when we normalize feelings of anxiety or daily struggles, we don't just term it as depression or mental illness, but it's also part of the human experience. And I say that with so much of emphasis because when people realize it's part of the human experience, they realize that they're actually normal. They are not abnormal. And I think the field of psychology is moving towards that. There's not something wrong with you if you are diagnosed with depression or schizophrenia or whatever it is. You are a human being who is struggling and we all have our different struggles. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think, first of all, the key is just sh making it normal and making it as as normal and as a as a day to day practice as just going to the doctor. I mean, it's when you break a leg, you just go to a doctor and it's okay. I mean, there's no shame in that. You just fucking fell on the floor or, you know, fell from a ladder and it's it happens. And sometimes it's even not your fault, it's just your brain chemistry that is not supporting you um, and is actually making you miserable. It's just not, it's not your fault, simply. Um, and I think a lot of people talk about how we should encourage more young people to, you know, talk about therapy and to go to therapy. Um, and I agree with that. However, I think that, the gen zeros and millennials i don't think they have a problem with that i think it's uh they are very open already um and i think the problem is the generations of people like over 50 60 and i think those are the people that are i mean there's more more stigma and fear i think regarding therapy so how do you think we can encourage more of those older generations to rethink um, those mental, different mental health um, practices? You know, I think with them, Julia, it's, um, it's, it's a bit more challenging, right? Because I think that they have lived through a very different time to us, right? So back in the day, their perceptions of mental health was also influenced by the fact that many of our parents and grandparents, you know, it, it just depends where you come from and what lineage you come from. But many of our parents and grandparents didn't have access to the same resources that we have today. They were more in survival mode, you know, so they had to make ends meet. They had to work hard. They had to make sure that their kids and, them and their wife or husband had enough food to eat every single day. That was their basic needs. And so I think that was their means of coping and it served them well for a certain time. 
But I think today it's a lot of psychoeducation about teaching them that they are not in survival mode anymore, that there is help out there for them, but also to live it by example. You know, so if you if you find that you are a younger generation, you are from a younger generation, and your parents tend to struggle with that, or you see other family members or people in, in the community, to share your experience with them, you know, and to say, I've been for therapy and it's helped me in A, B, and C ways. Because sometimes they look for the proof. So if you love that, if you are the loving example of, I've gone for it, and if I have, I know you can too. I feel like sometimes that is the best evidence, especially for people who are slightly older, just because they come from a very different mindset in a very different environment. Sometimes they need to see a movement. And I feel like we as a younger generation are that movement in showing them that we are accessing these resources, which they didn't access. And we are actually living proof that we can get help, that we can get better. I love that you're answers like always come from this place of compassion like you said when you were younger and you were at school that you you were always you know first thinking about you know just judging the people who are struggling but just thinking compassionately why they are in the place that they are and I I really admire that and I think yeah that's a lovely way to approach these things um and I you know when it comes to me I have recently notice that what I struggle with um, in, with just mental health is just asking for help or asking for anything for that matter. Um, I just, no, I'm not sure if it's my pride or just me wanting to be, you know, self-reliant, but I just think I have this default mindset that I am sure that I can figure things out on my own. And as you might have guessed, I, I often cannot And I think it would be just so much healthier if I could just reach out to someone when it comes to, yeah, for example, my mental health or um, or work or just pretty much anything that I, I struggle with. So I want to change that, change that. And I am asking you right now to change that as you are an expert and just a lovely person. Um, how do you think we can learn to ask for help and Why do you think, if you think, it's important to to be vulnerable in that way? Because, well, I I don't know if it's my pride or anything, but it's just really hard for me even to send emails to people that I don't know, just to ask them for something. Just, I'm so uncomfortable with that. Mm, you remind me so much of me, Julia, because <laughs> when I was younger, I would also struggle to ask for help. And I never used to ask anybody. And I became so self-reliant over the years. And I thought that it was a good thing. You know, I thought that I'm learning independence. But then I realized how overwhelmed I would also feel and how sometimes I actually just needed somebody to carry some weight for me, you know. So I completely get that. Um, but, you know, I think asking for help is a very human thing. If we look at who we are as human beings on a basic level, we are built to connect, we are built to assist each other. You know, our nervous systems are inherently wired for connection and for safety. And so when we understand that, we also recognize that there's a lot of healing in speaking to somebody or venting to somebody or saying, please help me, I don't understand how to do this. Um, and so it's a very human thing, it's a very basic thing. 
Um, but I think it takes a lot of practice again, simply because in society, the definition of strength is misconstrued. You know, so if we look at strength as vulnerability, it helps us ask for help because we realize when I ask for help, I'm actually being stronger because I'm admitting to you that I'm human and I can't do everything and I'm not supposed to do everything because I only have these two shoulders to carry the world on. I don't need to carry the world every day. So I'm allowing you to help me carry my world with me just for one day. You know, and sometimes, Julia, I think it's also about allowing people uh, to be to be there for us you know because there are so many people who want to help us there are so many people who want to be there for us but sometimes we close the doorway because we feel like we can do it by ourselves and sometimes opening the doorway even just a bit allows the light to shine in and someone to say I got you and that takes off so much of pressure from us it helps us realize that we are only human and it also helps us become more efficient because now we can function maybe 20% better than how we were before simply because somebody else is, is, is lending a helping hand to us. So there's a lot of grace in it. There's a lot of wisdom in asking for help. But I think it's also a practice. You know, it's a small practice of recognizing that asking for help is courage. It's not weakness. I think that's where it starts. I I was kind of shocked uh, that, you know, when you said, I got you, just as an example, I just think those are such magic words. Even if you just said it, you know, just as an example, I just felt such ease and just relief. And I think just, there's just so much power and it just you know, means that, you know, you are safe with me and you don't have to fight so much. And for me, I don't know, just when people say that and I'm just a, you know, hardworking, a type A person and I forget sometimes that I don't have to do it all. And yeah, it just really, I think, really, really helps. I was kind of shocked that, you know, that I had this kind of strong reaction mm. to um, that that says that. a lot about you as well I think you know it says that you also have that need to connect you also have that need to be sure. seen to be to to have somebody else see you and validate your experience and all of us have that need but I do find that those words I see you I hear you I I get you I've been through the same thing you know it kind of just removes all of these barriers between us. And it says, doesn't matter. We've gone through similar struggles. If I can do it, you can do it too. Yeah, let me help you through it. That's what it communicates yeah. to the next person, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's nice to hear those things. And it's great to be seen. But over the years, I've been learning more and more how much meaning and how much power is to when you are the person who says I got you when you are of service to others and how being there for someone even if it is not what you like would first want to be doing at the moment and actually putting as a prioritizing someone else over you I kind of helped me with my own mental health and I'm curious you know through helping other people um in therapy have you experienced that you know you have 
learn something about yourself too? Oh, yes. Oh, that's such a wise question. <laughs> I feel like, oh my goodness. I feel like I grow and I learn through every single client of mine. Sometimes I actually ask myself, you know, you're helping them, but why are you feeling like you've grown? Is that supposed to happen? But I spoke about yeah. it with somebody wow. recently and they were like, you know, it's so normal because when you see how someone else overcomes or when you play a part in helping them, you re it, it reaffirms the strength of the human spirit. So you actually see it in action. You see somebody move from, I can't get out of bed, and you help them do small, small things. You tell them, start very small. Start with, success is me just getting up and brushing my teeth. Success is me having breakfast every morning. You see them build on these steps until these people actually, you know, become so successful, feel so worthy and develop the strong self-confidence and you appreciate that you walked alongside them. But seeing them overcome it and actually watching them through the process helps also reaffirm that if they can do it, on your bad days, you can do it too. Because I think as therapists, and not many people even recognize this, but therapists have so many bad days as well. You know, we have days where we're so down and out or days where we just don't want to do anything too. And sometimes on those days, I look to my clients for inspiration And I say, if she could do it, it teaches me that there's something in me that can do it too. So it's definitely a two-way mirror. It's so profound. Yeah. I, I, I also think that it's like also about just when you are caring for someone, you just remind yourself that not everything is about you and that there are things that are bigger than you and your problems actually are right, not that important and that we are all go going through the same things and i think just having that perspective switch and not having not thinking like the spotlight is constantly on you and it's my problems and what i'm thinking about and just being in your own head so much i think when you are helping others and um right saying i got you it's like you're putting the spotlight on someone else but in a good way i think it's like um also like a relief Um, in in that way and I think we all need that perspective switch every once in a while yeah yeah no that's a very true thing that's a good reflection actually you know I think when we put the spotlight on someone else it helps reaffirm their story but it also shows us that there's more to us than what we're going through in our own minds because I think sometimes our own stories can become so convincing and so big that we think we are the only ones who are struggling sometimes that's how it feels And then you listen to someone else and you're like, whoa, okay, someone else is going through something really tough right now. It shows me that we're all going through something. So it also helps decompress your emotions as well. I love that. And I think those connections are so important. But I was recently thinking how, you know, there, there are many, many things that I think we should be, you know, learning at, at school or just te teaching to kids overall. And among all those things and trust me I think the list is very long but among all those things I think are relationship and relationship building and making those meaningful connections which are I think at the root of what it means to be human and I think we don't talk and don't think enough just how to build those meaningful relationships you know both romantic and platonic and just 
friendships and i i know that you had that's something that you've also talked about on your platforms um so what is your advice on building more meaningful and better relationships and also how we can sustain them so you know for me i i don't know i hate that i have so many relationships which are just based on small talk for example and i don't sometimes know how to get past that so what is your advice on that you know i think it always starts and i always tell people this when it comes to relationships it always starts with our relationships and our connections with ourselves and i say that is the primary thing because i think that once we know ourselves we also know what we want and we know what we want to connect with we know what kind of relationships we are looking for and we know what brings us joy and brings us happiness and brings us ease so i think investing in a personal relationship with yourself is very important um but i think also recognizing that different people play very different roles in our lives i know that many people seek that long lasting connection and friendships with people where we don't always have to make small talk where it feels like we are heard and like we are seen but sometimes small talk is also beneficial and it serves a purpose you know and for example some people we can connect with very basic things on so we can talk about the weather we can talk about beyonce or whatever it is i mean every every conversation when beyonce is mentioned i don't see it as a as small talk i just see it as you know the best kind of <laughs> obsessing like fun girling over someone i think is like the best kind of a conversation you can have so i wouldn't count that as small talk well that's true right beyonce is not small talk that is some serious yeah. conversation it's like a big talk <laughs> but yeah you know i think those conversations serve a very important function as well so I think all relationships serve a function and serve a purpose. There are some people who you can connect with on a very surface level, but those people are necessary. And then there are those people who you can connect with. Those are the people who you can call at two o'clock in the morning, and you can say, "I'm crying. I just had a breakup. He did this to me, or you know, she did this to me, or whatever it is." Those are the people who you connect with on like a heart level. and i feel like a relationship is a two way street right so it's about how much am i investing in this and how much is the other person investing how open are we in communicating when we have conflict because all relationships all friendships will reach conflict at some point how do we work through that as friends as couples or whatever your relationship is with the next person you know because i feel like when you build a long lasting relationship people often times think that it comes very easy it's a natural flow of progression through the years but relationships take a lot of work they take a lot of consciousness and they also take a lot of open communication we are human beings and so naturally we will get hurt we will feel offended when somebody says something to us that hurts our feelings um but i think a healthy relationship is one where you can voice your opinions in a tactful way and the person is willing to listen and so that's why i say that it's always a two way street but starting point of any relationship how well do i know myself what are my values what is important for me 
I always, you know, when I look at relationships... Yeah, I think that's such a game changer. You know, asking yourself those questions is so important. Yes, yes. Because it helps set... It's, it's, your, it's your standard for what you expect, you know, and what you are deserving of. So if, for example, if I say, like, what are your three values... You know, what, what comes to mind for you, Julia? If I say, what are your three values when it comes to relationships? What are my values? Like my main values? Um, I think just what I always say is working on my goals and ambitions while being satisfied with where I'm at is like the one of my like a big, big really big values. Like searching for constant improvement, however, also being satisfied and accepting and knowing that I am enough um, where I am and seeking balance between all, all things. I think those are um, like like searching th- for uh, virtues and being a kinder, wiser. Like why well, I like this podcast. I think the podcast speaks to what are my values, just ser- the search for being wiser, healthier and happier while, right, accepting that it takes time. Mm. So being ambitious while still being present, knowing that you are yeah. forward-looking while still appreciating where you are and appreciating the journey, right? And then the second yeah. one you said, also um, working towards your mental health and putting your passion into this passion project of yours, which reaches so many hearts and so many ears, right? So if you look at those two values and we filter it into your relationships, we then can see it's important to you that you have somebody who is who helps you look forward, somebody who you can also enjoy the present moment with, somebody who will walk the journey of success alongside you and maybe encourage you on certain days where you forget because all of us have those days where we doubt ourselves, right? So if you look at that value, you can see how it filters into a friendship or into a relationship. And then I think your your passion project is also so important because you have such a beautiful way with asking questions about mental health and such a good way of reflecting on, you know, wise things when it comes to mental health. So I can see that in your friendships or in your relationships, it's important to also speak about um, these points of wisdom or to speak about the human experience so that vulnerability then I think also filters yeah, into. I mean, that's those like as you said, those kind of relationships where I where I have that are the most meaningful to me. So you get me so so much. I mean, those like those core values uh, that are in me are what I value the most in the relationships I make. So I really have to agree with that. Yes, yes, you know, but that just shows that anybody can do this exercise. Ask yourself, what are your three most important values and who is aligning with these values? Now I understand what I'm looking for, you know? So not everybody has to fit distinctly within those values, but it also helps us recognize these are the relationships worth nurturing. This is a person who's going to be maybe a long-lasting friend because they meet these values of mine. You know, those are your standards for yourself because our values speak a lot to our needs, It shows that we have a need to be seen. We have a need for somebody to walk alongside us in our success journey. And we need to honor those needs by also seeking or, you know, bringing friends or relationships in our life, which meet those needs and speak to those needs in very specific ways. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that was so lovely and such a lovely advice. You have to know yourself, know what you're looking for in order to 
be satisfied with with those relationships first i think that's yeah that's so important um and while you were saying that i also i remembered that i was thinking about therapy and how i am frustrated that some people in my closest environment are still hesitant um towards therapy and i think that one of the reasons might be that just the thought of sitting with a well stranger face to face and talking about well their biggest insecurities and kind of knowing that well i'm might be judged on that it's just not something that they're willing to try but i think that not a lot of people know that there are other ways to get therapy and get help and I am curious what is your take on those I know that you are a holistic um, psychologist and that you are very passionate about that so can you speak to alternative therapy and what other ways you think might help people who are hesitant to you know just Uh, talking face to face or you know the freud like lying on the couch um what's what's your take on the different types i am so for it hey julia i feel like you have to you you have to honor what you feel comfortable with some people don't want to talk and that's okay but i am so for alternative therapies of for example dance therapy some people feel like they process emotion through dance it's so therapeutic for them you know they feel like they let go for that hour or so they are in their body they enjoying the moment they present sometimes that is more beneficial for them than actually sitting and talking about an emotion You know, so dance therapy is very beautiful. Music therapy, some people just listening to their favorite songs, their favorite um, albums, that can also be very therapeutic. Um, but then there's there's also other things like um, physical exercise, you know, which is another therapy. So it's not just physical therapy, but it's also mental therapy, especially when you push your body and push your mind. So I know lots of people who prefer to go hiking, you know, hiking and challenging themselves constantly um, also helps build a lot of mental strength for them. Um, you know, there's other more traditional therapies uh, in the field of holistic psychology, like acupuncture, or people do martial arts, for example, Um, you know, there's so many different things, but I think it speaks to what do you feel pulled towards? Because art therapy, for example, is something which I'm very drawn to because I'm a very artistic person. I love expressing myself through art. Sometimes that's more beneficial for me than talking about my feelings. You know, so anything that we love can turn into therapy. So I think it... Ha- oh my God, I love that you said that. Yeah, Everything that you love can be a therapy. I mean, if this is not like a lower back tattoo, then <laughs> I mean, I don't know what is. Like, this is the best one. Please continue. Sorry. <laughs> I just think that that's so meaningful. And that is, mm. I love that. Yeah, because, you know, if you're drawn to it, it's meant to heal you. That's what I feel. Anything we are drawn to is meant to benefit us and heal us in very profound ways, which is why when you look at Beyonce, for example, or you look at any artist or any singer, their gift is not just to share with people, but their gift is for them as well. When they sing, it's therapy for them first. Other people just feel the benefit of that, right? 
they are on a grand scale. They are standing on stage and performing. But you can turn spending time with your pets, spending time with your loved ones, uh, watching your favorite show on television. You can turn anything into therapy as long as it allows you to be present. You know, so when people look at it like that, they recognize that they can integrate therapy into their life every single day. You don't have to go and sit in a psychologist's office, although it's wonderful if that's for you, but you can choose to do it in a way which honors your needs. That's important. Yeah, absolutely. And apart from art therapy, what are your favorite ways to practice mental health and when it comes to right alternative therapy or just practices that you do at home and what are your little tips and tricks that you use so nature for me is my favorite medicine being completely present in nature putting my phone away um i have this hammock outside which i oftentimes lay on and i look at the trees and i pay attention to the rustling of the leaves or the chirping of the birds um i think even looking up at the tall trees and recognizing how small i am helps put things into perspective for me and helps minimize whatever it is i'm going through at that point in time um nature therapy is it's it's so beautiful for me because i feel like it grounds me it centers me sometimes even walking bare feet on the grass you know that's enough to yeah. some people say that it... i mean you have like also like physically i mean your feet have so it's like there's there are so many nerves and th- muscles and things that actually like i don't know really i know about the science a little but i really don't want to but- butcher anything so i just know that there's just a way that through touching the ground and actually uh, touching the earth it's yes. just it makes you happier also just through those neurotransmitters that are uh, you know in your brain activated absolutely absolutely so it helps ground you in a very organic way you know so i find that that's the easiest and most efficient way for me now it's actually spring in south africa so it's so beautiful because the flowers are blooming the birds are chirping even more the leaves are are, are becoming greener um Nature for me also reminds me of the seasons of human transformation and I write about this so often because I'm so inspired by nature. So when I go through when I when I when we experience winter in South Africa it reminds me that I oftentimes have my own winter. I oftentimes go through my own point where I feel like something is dying in me and something needs to regrow. Something needs to be reborn. You know and so when I step outside and I look at the trees around me and I look at flowers I see so many parallels between the outside world and between myself and I think there's a lot of healing in that there's a lot of grace in that for me um so yeah nature is very very special for me and then like I said writing is also extremely therapeutic I find that I don't think when I write I write I write from my heart So my mind is switched off when I'm writing and I'm in it. I write what needs to be said. Sometimes only when I read it I realize, "Oh, okay, that's what needed to be said today." But it's not something I think about. I think because, you know, so much of many of our jobs, so much of being a student even is so cerebral. We are meant to think of things. We are meant to 
analyze things. You know, we have to be critical thinkers. That's what schools teach us. That's what your universities teach us. But to get into your body and to get into your heart and to practice anything from your heart is therapeutic because it switches your mind off. I'm so jealous of that. It's so hard for me. I mean, when I sit and write to journal, it's kind of, I'm unable to like, I mean, I can write from my heart. I can write about the things that, you know, hurt me. But most of the times I'm just kind of overthinking and I just, I'm a huge overthinker. So yeah, that's something that I really uh, need to work on when it comes to just writing from the deeper part of me. You know, so it's actually called unconscious writing. So it's actually a practice where you sit and you just say, what, what needs to be said? doesn't need to be perfect. I don't need to think about it. What is my heart? What is my heart communicating to me today? What does my heart need to say? When you ask your heart what it needs to say, it starts speaking to you. Because our mind has a lot to say. But the voice of our heart is softer. You know, so we need to amplify it a bit and quieten the mind. And that's when your heart speaks. And so I feel like that's kind of like how I take the practice of unconscious writing and purging everything on paper. I love that. I really do. Um, I sometimes feel uninspired uh, to journal. I try to kind of make myself um, do it because I notice that when I start, it it just naturally flows and I, I, I start to enjoy it more. So what I have done is... Uh, kind of try just writing in those short prompts and, and bullets like the things that I'm grateful for today, the things that I want to let go of or um, the habits that I want to change in order to become um, a better version of myself and what kind of things that I have to do today to be closer to the future self and how I would like uh, my future self to be like and what are my intentions. I just... I found that through those short answers, I can just kind of get into the mindset that um, I want to get into. So I th- I found that helpful. So if uh, anyone listening is struggling with um, journaling, I think that's a way to get you into that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes those prompts really help us, especially the gratitude. What am I grateful for? Yeah. You know, what am I looking forward to? When we see it on paper, it makes it so much more real for us. And it helps us dig deeper. Because even gratitude is a, is a heart thing. It's not really a mind thing. So that already shows that you are writing from the heart. You know, that's already yeah. a good practice. Yeah, I guess. Also, coming, coming back to therapy, I am thinking about just, you know, I am sure that as with everything, there are therapists that are better and worse and um that sometimes there might be people who are not actually going to help you and I would be it it would be you know pretty sad if someone who needed help got discouraged because they didn't get the the help that they deserve um so I want to ask you, as you have a lot of experience also um, in the Oprah Winfrey Academy with younger people and your own now private practice, through that whole experience, can you say how to know if a therapist is good, you know, how, what questions should we ask them before um, deciding 
and also what kinds of red flags should be should we be looking out for because I'm sure that you know maybe not there are no like imposters or I mean life coaches might be you know that there's like this huge um controversy when people call themselves life coaches and those maybe kind of be um imposters but I don't know so um what kind of things should we be looking out for and what questions should we ask Mm. you know I think it's important to first do research on the therapist so many therapists have their websites so to do research on where they studied what their approach is there's different approaches to therapy so for example some therapists work from a Freudian perspective and that's a very big focus on your childhood um not many people agree with that simply because they feel like they want to be more forward thinking so some therapists have a blend between psychoanalytic which is Freudian and more CBT you know which which is cognitive therapy Um, some people appreciate that approach because they like changing their thought patterns and CBT is brilliant for that so I think finding out what approach your therapist works from and asking them, you know, having a conversation with them, how do you how do you work with clients and also discussing your problem with them and asking them, is it something that you have experience with? Um, I think is very important when it comes to anxiety and depression. Those are very common things. Many therapists would have worked with a lot of clients like that. Uh, but I think that it becomes even more nuanced when you are from a certain, a certain cultural group or certain community. Um, And so many people appreciate actually going to a therapist who they can directly relate to on a personal level. You know, many people appreciate um, therapists who, for example, if they are Buddhist, Buddhist therapists, because they know that they understand them when they speak about Buddhism. Um, So doing a lot of research about who your therapist is, what their training is. But I think it's also important to find out what kind of person your therapist is. Because I feel like therapeutic skill has a lot to do with your personality. And that is not something which we can be trained in at university because we are all so different, right? So, for example, my therapeutic skill is a lot of empathetic listening, a lot of making sure that the person feels heard, a lot of acknowledgement. Um, and people, some people really benefit from that. So that's a very big part of my personality. Um, some people, for example, will appreciate more of the harder people. So they need more tougher therapists. You know, maybe the, the therapists who are not as gentle with them. So the therapists who hold them strongly accountable. You know, that's something that's important to them. But some of the questions you can ask your therapist is, um, tell me about what are some of your values in therapy. Um, tell me what some of your experience is. Where have you worked? Who have you worked with? What modality do you use? Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think, I mean, red flags is a very hard thing to say. I think sometimes you only mm-hmm. learn that through trial and error with your therapist. Yeah. Sometimes you have one session and you have to kind of, you, you have to give it a chance um, and you and you realize in your first session, nah, she's really not getting me or she's not understanding me or something feels off. My intuition just tells me she's not the right one. And that's also okay, you know. Sometimes it's it's a matter of trial and error and trying out a few therapists and 
taking it from there, knowing you, you will know who you can connect with, especially in terms of how they relate to you. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's, it's a very personal experience. So I think just do as much research as you can. Ask people who have also seen them what their experiences have been, because I think that's a big indicator of whether they are actually good or not. Other people speaking about them as professionals. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, coming back to what we talked about with relationships, it's like you have to first ask yourself, what are my core values and what am I looking for in a when the when in the other person and I think with a therapist that might help. Um and yeah, I wanted to say that I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I cannot really tell you how soothing and how you know just good for my soul it was um I love this kind of conversations that I really you know could feel like it's my own therapy and when you ask me you know uh what are your you know values I was just like damn you have like a talent for just right for what you do for making people seen and heard and there, there's just a lot of compassion um, that is radiating through your words. Um, oh, and thank I just you. Thank really, you so much, really Julia. That means so much to me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I feel like I can chat to you for like, we, we can carry on going and speaking for like five <laughs> hours about psychology and all the yeah. different things in it. I feel so privileged and so yeah. honored that you asked me and... Um, you know, when I, when I had the conversation with you the other day um, over the phone where we just chatted for a bit, I also saw so much of passion and so much of wisdom in such a young woman. Um, and I think I can't wait to see what else you do with this platform and what else you do in your life, whether it has to do with the field of psychology or not. So thank you for allowing me into your space. Yeah. But when, when it comes to, you know, speaking for hours and hours, I could and I would love definitely to do that too and the good news is that when we finish this recording uh, we can talk forever and ever and no one has to feel like I'm always like hesitant if I want to make my episodes longer or if I want to make them shorter because I know that there are some people who say like oh three hours of a podcast I don't care you know they listen to like a Joe Rogan podcast which is so long but sometimes I also hear people saying that, oh, no, no, I don't listen to anything over 30 minutes. And I'm trying to, like, I found that, you know, an hour of a conversation is, like, a you know, good place. But I don't know. I'm just... I think an hour is good, but I think that you could have, like, follow-ups, you know? So you could say, we'll chat yeah. again next week on this topic. So, for example, like, after this conversation, you could ask people, like, yeah. what else would you like us to speak about? What stood out for you? And then use exactly. that in the next you can conversation. Let us know. When you are listening to this, you can let us know using our current gmail is podcast.beingbetter at gmail.com that might change in the future but you can also reach out on instagram which is at beingbetter.pod and your instagram is mine is at mindful.counseling okay well you will also find that in the episode description so don't worry about that and also when it comes to 
you and where people can find you um, outside of your Instagram if they want to reach out, what should they do? So, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to give out my website because <laughs> I'm in the process of sure, changing sure. my name on Instagram and changing my website name. Oh, so it's okay. like a full identity transformation I'm going through. Okay, okay, okay. So I would recommend that you follow me on Instagram because then I, I, I won't give you the wrong um, website address. So follow me on Instagram at mindful.counseling. It's going to change soon. Yeah. But if you follow me there, then you'll be updated with everything else. Okay, well, that's lovely. So again, thank you so much for speaking with me. And if the listeners have any more questions, well, just let me know because I would love to follow up. And have a lovely day, everyone. I will speak to you probably in a few seconds, but still, (laughs) have a lovely few seconds. Thanks, Julia. Okay, before anyone starts sending me angry messages, I know that the audio during this interview was not the greatest. Um, There was some problems on Zara's side, which were actually my fault. So I hope that wasn't too distracting and that actually you have learned something. I mean, for me, after having this conversation, I have just one question I think left to ask which is who's getting that anything that we love can turn into therapy lower back tattoo with me or at least I mean let's put it on a lock screen wallpaper or something because damn I mean I think we often forget that right therapy doesn't have to be this Freudian lying on the couch and discussing our childhood traumas If you love riding horses, that can be a sort of therapy for you. Or if you love to paint or run or bake, I think that I at least need to remember that these activities are never a waste of time because they make me happier and they heal my soul. So I think I need to remember to fuck productivity every once in a while and think about what small activities make me feel wholesome and giddy no matter how unproductive or meaningless they seem and maybe for you that can be puzzles or crocheting yeah if you love it it can become therapy and therapy is always productive so yeah thanks again to Zahra for having this lovely conversation with me and now let's move on to the inside of the week segment Ooh, I think we have just created a new jingle because no one said a jingle has to be a good piece of music, right? Um, okay, anyway, my insight of this past week is based on a article that I've read and also a little bit on my last insight of the week. Last week, I talked about how we have this culture of forced and faked humbleness where we are not supposed to be proud of our successes and when someone says that you look good you should say no 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 I just rolled out of bed and we don't own our successes so if you are interested in that I talked about that for a bit at the end of the last episode but now I was kind of thinking about how this is just a part of virtue signaling and for anyone who doesn't know it's just virtue signaling is when you want 
all people to see what a good, virtuous, kind person you are and really, really trying very hard for them to think that way. And I was kind of thinking about virtue signaling and I realized that it can actually be good. I mean, if you think about modern day examples of virtue signaling, I like, you know, sharing posts about different climate or political crises online and showing that you care about them or posting photos of your healthy meal or talking to your friends that you donate to charity or that, you know, there are billionaires who built a hospital wing. I mean, not physically built, they invested in that and they have their name in huge letters on the side of that hospital wing. And I realized that, you know, these days, a lot of what we do and a lot of just a big part of our conversation, what we tell to our friends that what we had done that day or what are we planning to do, I think a lot of that is based on virtue signaling. And I have mixed feelings about this. But then I realized if our goal is to live in a society that is more virtuous, then what's wrong with praising those virtues, you know? If this is what we praise, then it doesn't really matter how we get there, you know? What doesn't matter is that this billionaire wants to have his name on that hospital wing if they actually paid for it. I mean, if this makes other billionaires want to do the same thing then maybe it doesn't really matter that they want that you know maybe it doesn't matter that those trashy people you know share posts of black lives matter movement just because they want to virtue signal if they actually share it and spread the word you know i mean this is just creating new social norms and forces people to conform, you know. Conformity can seem spineless, but I think, in fact, it kind of just reflects this ancient yearning to be a part of something greater than ourselves. So, for example, even just talking about how someone donated to charity, this goes deeper than words. Sometimes changing what we see, what we value, and how we behave even privately... And no matter what you think of this, we are always going to be a hurt species, more prone to move together than alone. And I think virtue signaling changes the, these social norms and changes what we value in one another. And since we are always going to want to be a part of the group, we're going to do whatever it takes to be a part of this group. So... I was kind of surprised that this was my take on it because I always hated virtue signaling and I ho always hated this, you know, faked humbleness, which I talked a lot about right uh, last week. But right now I'm kind of thinking that I am not really that mad about virtue signaling because it is important. I mean, not every person tweeting their support of a righteous cause will follow through, but no matter their motives, when many people speak out, their voices have a powerful effect on receivers. It just changes what we think. It changes the pathways. And especially when kids see that this is what people 
brag about and that people do not brag about having a new car but brag about you know going vegan and drinking kombucha and all those things that make other generations annoyed at millennials if kids see that those things are valued in society then at the end of the day what doesn't matter if this person is just virtue signaling or or actually doing these things um so yeah that is my insight i'm very curious what you think of this and what's your take on virtue signaling i'm sure that there can be a lot of harmful aspects of it as well so as i said many times in this episode you can let us know using our email or on instagram i will respond to you as soon as that is possible So thank you so much for listening to this episode and I just wanted to say that you look lovely today and when you smile the world just seems a little brighter so please smile for me and I will speak to you in the next one. edited and produced by Julia Spohr. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the episode description or at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one and the best one is to share the podcast with your friends and with your family. Tell them why you enjoy it and why they might enjoy it as well. You can also share it on your social media platforms. And another way to help the show is to write a review, rate or subscribe to the podcast because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you in the next one.